1: That's one of the themes. The other one is the importance of Christian character. How important it is for us as Christians to live a life that is worthy of Jesus. And we can only do that by the Spirit of God. I can't do it in my flesh. I don't have it in me to promote good things. All that is in me outside of Christ is just death. Have you come to that conclusion that there's no good thing that lies within you, but it's only because of the the presence of the Spirit of God in you, that's the only reason that anything is getting done in any positive way?
0: Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob begins a study in Peter's second and final epistle. Although there are several themes to this letter, Peter first starts out by emphasizing how we grow in the knowledge of Jesus and mature in our faith. There must be no attitude of, I'm good enough, and I'll just stay right here where I am spiritually. But instead, our goal is to continue to grow and be more like Christ as the Holy Spirit leads us. He has given us his endless power to be able to yield to his leadership. Let's join Pastor Rob with our study for today.
1: Our Bibles to Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to be starting a new epistle this morning. We just finished First Peter last week, and we're getting into Second Peter This epistle that we're going to be reading uh, this morning is by the Apostle Peter. And normally in any last will or testament or last words that somebody might say, perhaps at their deathbed, wouldn't you agree that whatever they have to say is of significance? Because they're not going to just tell you a joke. They're not going to tell you something insignificant. Their heart is to tell you something that they've learned, something that's important that they can share or impart to you or to your family. So when somebody has a last letter or a a last will or testament, or perhaps you're at the deathbed of a loved one and they whisper the last words, whatever they are, there's a tendency, a natural tendency to, to incline the ear and listen a little more intently for what they have to say. And this final letter of Peter is one of those letters. In fact, the theme of Second Peter, there's actually four really important themes. The first one is concerning false teachers and false doctrines. And certainly back at this time in the first century after Pentecost, there were many, many false teachers and false prophets. It's amazing how just the church had just begun, and already it's, it's being infiltrated by the devil and his works. Because wherever the truth is told and shared with boldness and with a, with the, by the Spirit of God, you can, you can bet that there is going to be elements opposing you. Those who are empowered by the devil rather than empowered by the Spirit of God, and they are going to oppose, oppose the work of God. And certainly at this time, these things were happening. And one of the other themes in the Apostles' uh, letter here is the hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ can come at any moment. Are you excited about that? I'm excited. I can't wait. I hope it happens before this service is over with. I want to hear the trump of God, and I want to to see this. Actually, you know what? This roof doesn't even have to lift off. We're just going to go. We're going to be transformed, just like Jesus was. That's one of the themes. The other one is the importance of Christian character, how important it is for us as Christians to live a life that is worthy of of Jesus, and we can only do that by the Spirit of God. I can't do it in my flesh. I don't have it in me to promote good things. All that is in me, with, outside of Christ, is just death. Have you come to that conclusion that there's no good thing that lies within you? But it's only because of the the presence of the Spirit of God in you. That's the only reason that anything is getting done in any positive way. It's the only way things are happening for eternity. Eternal things are. Are, are things that are important. And when God shares his word, his word will uh, abide for eternity. Everything else is going to pass away, but he says, my word will endure forever. And, and another thing, too, is that one of the other themes is prophetic scripture. We're going to be reading about it uh, in the next several weeks here in this, this short letter. Prophetic scripture is given by holy men of God, by the Holy Spirit of God, And it's not of any private interpretation. It's meant to be known. You know, the gospel is meant to be known. There are some cults in our culture, such as the Mormons and the Freemasons and other cults, they have mystery meetings. We used to have, right on the corner of Penfield Four Corners, there used to be a Masonic lodge right there, and they met there in secret for years. For over 20 years, they met there. And nobody ever knew they were there, except for the insignia that they had on the front of the building. Very quiet, very mysterious, you know, mysterious codes, blood oaths that they had to take for the information that was sharing. Ooh, some really interesting stuff, really interesting. You should know this, but can't tell you. However, you can pay and you can join us and you can go through the classes and you can be in and get the secret handshake with the joy buzzer and all that stuff. You can do all that stuff. You can have the special handshakes, the special decoder rings and the holy underwear. Yes, holy underwear, the Mormons, they do that. Anyway, they need Jesus, right? We, we shouldn't really make fun of them, but, they, but there, there's a lot of secrecy. And anything that's secret, is that really something that God is wanting to portray as something that he doesn't want anybody to know, that you've got you to work for this? After all, I've, I've done all, all this stuff for you, and you've got you to gotta work to get this secret. You've got to pay no, the, the gospel is open. It's very plain. There's no, there's no smoke and mirrors, folks. It, doesn't that set you free to know that the, the truth that you hold is the truth? It's not some false gospel. But there were plenty of false gospels going on in this time. In fact, that's one of the reasons why Second Peter, it wasn't until the 4th century that this letter really became part of the canon of Scripture. Because at this time, the apostles were battling something that we uh, can understand, and that is, people were writing letters and putting the, the apostles' names on them, and the letter was filled with false doctrine. Maybe some of the truth, maybe portions of Peter's letter or Paul's letter, but they would mix in some other things. And the intention is just to confuse, just to get their own point across. And because of their lust for being acknowledged and their, and their lust for power, they had to put the apostles' name on it so that more people might read it and be motivated and be deceived but these things were happening, and Second Timothy was just like that same letter for, for Paul. Second Timothy was swan, uh, Paul's swan song, the letter that he would write before he would be beheaded by Nero in Rome. This letter was written around 67 or 68 A.D. during the Neronian persecution. And it was written from the Mamertine prison. And the Mamertine prison is a prison in Rome. And I had the opportunity to see it with my own eyes in 1990 when I was in Rome. And it's still there to this day. And Peter and Paul both spent some time in there. And this prison was usually meant for uh, prisoners, and it was a short-term thing. And usually if you're in the Mamertine prison, that means that you're shortly going to be executed. That was the purpose of it. It was just a holding cell until they brought you out to the lions or to the chopping block. And that's the way it was for, for Paul and for Peter as well. And it says that it was during this time that when, when it came time for Peter to be crucified, that he didn't want to be crucified the same way Jesus was, being upright like this. He asked that he would be crucified upside down. And so they'd turn the cross upside down, or turn the the bar, and they would hang him upside down on that on that wooden post, and he would be crucified in that way. And so that happened. Um, so this letter was written around 67 to 68 BC or AD. I'm sorry, just before Nero himself would commit suicide on June 9th. And and so we think of Peter. We look at his life, and again, just by way of introduction. Peter was one of the first disciples to follow Jesus. We know that in John chapter 1, you remember that John's disciples were standing next to him, and John told them, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And two of the disciples followed Jesus. And it says in verse 40 of John chapter 1, one of the two who heard John speak, John the Baptist, and followed him, follow Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And I love this. Now, when Jesus looked at him, when he looked at Peter, when he looked at Simon, Simon Peter was his name, when he looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah, but you shall be called Cephas, or Kephas, as they would say in the Greek, which is translated a stone, just a small stone. And Jesus changed his name. Jesus saw something in Peter. Potential. You know, isn't that wonderful about God that he can look at your life? You, before you came to Christ, you could have been involved in all kinds of wicked things. And yet, God can look in you and say, you know what? I know what I've created you for. You've lived your own way, you've lived your a life of sin, but I'm going to tell you that I have a plan for your life. In fact, somebody told me that God had a plan for my life and it startled me. He had a plan. Are you kidding, Lord? You have a plan for my life? Who am I? Here I am in the middle of my sin and you're telling me that you have a plan for my life? Yeah, he does. And he's got a plan for your life too. And it's a wonderful grace and a wonderful blessing. It's the Christian life, the great joy of our walk with Christ to find out what he has created you for. What has he created you for? Certainly to worship him, but there are other things too. He's created you with great and precious promises. He's got great and precious promises for you. And he's fulfilling those in me, and he's fulfilling those in you. And what a great and glorious Savior we have. Isn't he wonderful? Doesn't he deserve our our worship, our adoration, our praise? Doesn't he deserve to be hallowed above all things? Doesn't he deserve our everything, our all, everything within us? Every motivation, every movement of our body, doesn't he deserve it? He does. He deserves it. But he changed Peter's name to Cephas, which means stone. And in the Greek, it means Petros. Again, a small rock. Petros is his name. We call him Peter in English. And why is this significant? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, you remember when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and that's a wonderful place to go if you've never been to Israel. We're hoping to join the Finger Lakes next uh, next uh, February, March time frame to join them on their Israel tour, so begin praying about coming to Israel um, we're gonna have, I'm going to talk to them and see if we can put something together and, and join their group. They've always been very welcome for us to do that. But consider going. It'll be a great trip, I promise you. But Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? There's a, there's a clue. <laughs> well, you're the Son of Man. <laughs> and so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, and, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? I don't want to hear about everybody else, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are God in the flesh. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. In other words, son of Jonas, or Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Peter. In other words, you are Petros. You're this small rock, Peter. You're this small rock. And also I say to you, On this rock, and the word there is Petra. Have you seen pictures of Petra in Jordan? It's just rock. That's all it is. And it's huge. I've never been to Petra. I'd love to go to Petra. But it's just rock. I think you have been to Petra, haven't you, Pastor David? Yeah, so it's a beautiful place. I'm looking forward to going someday. But he says, on this rock, on this Petra, on this big boulder... I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is that big rock? Is that big rock that Petra? Is that Peter? No, he's still that little rock. But what Peter said is the big rock. And what is? What did Peter say? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That is the Petra. That is the big rock that he's speaking of. That truth, that truth alone is what is important. And I will build my Upon that truth, I will build my church, Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 10, we also notice, in in John that we just read, we saw that Andrew, it says Andrew came first to to Jesus, and then Peter, after Andrew, went and found his brother. And I love what it says in Matthew chapter 10. It says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. And he says, Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. Notice who's named first. First. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. It doesn't mean that Andrew was any less significant, but God was going to do a great work through Peter, just like he wants to do a great work through you. But what about the internal evidence of this letter? Again, there was a lot of uh, question marks about this letter. What about the internal evidence? Well, there's, there's at least four different things that we can look at here that can prove that Peter was the author of this letter. Now, why is this important? Because there are a lot of scholars, a lot of biblical scholars, liberal biblical scholars, who will say that some of these things, you shouldn't believe this, you shouldn't believe that. Well, well, Jesus spoke to Peter. Jesus spent time with Peter. Jesus valified or verified Peter's ministry. So I think we can believe what Peter has to say. And yet there are those who, uh, in the world today... uh, uh, Christian and even mostly non-Christian scholars would just like to take this out of your hand and tear out pages. Ah, that doesn't belong. <sniffs> ah, that doesn't belong. Oh, the forgiveness of sin that. That certainly doesn't belong. <sniffs> and so they'll go through and they'll modify everything to where all you've got is the maps. <laughs> right? But don't you believe it. Every word, all scripture is given by inspiration and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. This is no different. The first evidence. Look at the very first verse. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Notice that. He comes right out and says who it is. It's writing it. That's the first evidence. But it gets better. The second one is in Second Peter, uh, the, the first chapter here in verse 14. Peter says, Knowing that I shortly must put off my tent, in other words, this body, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. When did this happen? When did Jesus Christ show you, Peter, that you were going to shortly put off your tent? Well, it was after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You recall after this that uh, the the apostles, Peter and John, they just decided, no, I'm going fishing. They go up to Galilee, they fish, they catch nothing. Finally, they hear a voice from the shore, hey, cast the the net on the other side of the boat. (laughs) Lord, we've been working all night, but... Peter's thinking to himself well I did this before I got a lot of fish so I think I might do it again still didn't know who it was it was Jesus on the shore he didn't even know who it was yet and Jesus goes through this dialogue with Peter about feeding his lambs and Peter do you love me do you love me? And then I love what it says in the 18th verse of John chapter 21. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, verse 19, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. So here Jesus prophesies and tells Peter the, the way that he's going to die. Peter had already seen Jesus hanging on the cross, spreading his hands out and being put up on that piece of wood, and now Jesus is saying, likewise with you, Peter. Can you imagine the difficulty of that? And then the third thing, so Peter knew he was speaking concerning Jesus. The third evidence is Peter claimed to be present during the time of Jesus' transfiguration, and in chapter 1 here verse 16 it says this no for we did not know or we didn't we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased And we heard his voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Do you remember the Mount of Transfiguration? It's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 17. We're not going to go there for the sake of time. But do you recall when they were there? Peter's saying, I remember that. And he includes that in here. He goes, we received, uh, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty on the mount. Is there anybody else who was there other than Peter and James and John and Moses and Elijah and Jesus? There was nobody else there at the time. So Peter is showing that this letter is from him. And the final thing is in uh, chapter 3 of this letter, verse 1. He says, Beloved, I now write to you this second letter, this second epistle, of both which I stir up your minds by way of remembrance. And you've got to remember that Peter's audience was the same as his first letter. It was the first century Jews who were now Christians and perhaps a mixture of Gentiles as well. Remember, they were on the run due to persecution by Rome and even from their fellow countrymen, the Jews. So Peter is writing this, this second epistle to the same group of people. And you know, one of the greatest proofs of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the changed life. You know, you look at how God changed Peter's life, how he made him this very impetuous, very boastful man and turned him into something completely different. He didn't modify his, he didn't take away, though, his personality. He took his personality and he, he shaped it. And he used his personality. You know, because before Peter was born and baptized with the Holy Spirit, he was boastful, impetuous, confident. But after the day of Pentecost, he was humbled, he was changed. And God took all those character traits and overlaid them with his spirit and began the process of refining him, just like he's refining us. Do you sense the Lord refining you? It's called sanctification. It's a process. It takes time. It takes time. When I became saved, when, the, when, when Jesus Christ and his spirit came into my heart, I wasn't made a perfect person. I'm still not a perfect person, but God sees me perfect only because of Christ in me, the Holy Spirit in me. That's the only way. And now it's just living out the life, this life of sanctification, setting you apart. God is setting you apart. Are you allowing yourself to be set apart, to be separate? Didn't he say, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. It doesn't mean that you have to not fellowship or, or hang out with people who don't know Jesus. But if you're going to be with them, make sure you are a light and you are salt to them. You don't want to continue to take on the things that they hold on to. The old life that you used to hold on to. Those old sins. You don't want to go anywhere near those things. So if you're going to be with an unbeliever, be a force for good. Be a disciple of Christ. Tell them the truth. Don't let them infect you with that old nature. You've got a new nature now. You infect them in such a beautiful way. You infuse them. You get them to encourage encourage them to come to Christ. Give them an opportunity to come to Christ. But your boldness and your supernatural confidence in the Word of God, it is going to be noticed, and it should. It should. Let's go back to verse one here. It says Simon Peter, a bond servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice the order. You know, if it were me writing this letter, I might have said, Peter. The one who hung out with Jesus for three years, Peter, the apostle, and bond servant. <laughs> no, but he says Peter had learned so much at this very last letter. He's like, you know what? I am nothing. I'm a bond servant first. I'm a bondservant. I'm a bondservant before I'm an apostle. And you know, many today are hung up on titles. It seems that people are working really hard to earn respect, and especially in pulpits. And we, if we aren't careful about this, it's just it, our pride gets put on display. And boy, does that expose us. And boy, do we need to repent of that. Titles. I've actually heard of a pastor one time who had this title, and I won't tell you where it was. Uh, but I, just in my travels... I heard this, um, now I'm elaborating a little bit on this, but it was like, Pastor so-and-so, Reverend, Apostle, Doctor, Bishop. I mean, it was like, and I just thought, I almost wanted to stop and add something.
0: I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in Peter's second epistle. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625.